Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. Mike Leach, Mississippi State football coach, friend of this show. He is currently walking his dog. Uh, and it's good to know you do that. You don't have a person that does that for you? No. Uh, no, we got the dog recently. It's. Uh, it's a British lab. She's really well trained, and it was, um, so it was a situation where uh, one of the guys that ran the kennel, um, you know, it's had some problems at the house, and you know, he just needed to kind of downsize and get a place for the dog. So instead of the dog staying in the kennel there at the kennels, you know, he wanted to have a good home. So it's it's trained like crazy. She can do anything. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. Kind of a new adventure. And uh, so, yeah, she'll walk always on your left side if you insist on it. She'll fetch anything. The, the best is watching her swim out in the water and haul all kinds of stuff back. Um, she'll uh, sit. Oh, she'll stay. And, yeah, you know, you can see her twitching up because she really wants to go chase whatever you throw <laughs> but she'll stay until you say go and so pretty clever did you have like when you were growing up as a kid did you uh, you strike me as a guy who probably had a dog as a kid yeah we did had quite a few we lived out of town uh in wyoming on 10 acres and uh one visual that's a really good one it wasn't always like this, um, but we had a Labrador, we had a yellow tomcat, we had a raccoon, and a Vichla short hair, <laughs> and they would all hang out together. Love that. You know, wandering around the house, you know, not the house so much, but the front yard. Uh, you know, pretty much did everything together. Um, once in a great while, the cat would get a little tired of it and go off on his own, but uh, he would always rejoin his buddies and hang out for the most part. We just got through week one. Uh, obviously, massive overreaction by fans and media. It, to wins and losses. You've been at this a long time. You had you had good week ones. You've had some bad week ones. Uh, what's what's the right reaction? You know when when you when you have a week one or as a coach, how do you approach that? Well, nobody wants to be judged by their exclusively by their week one. Um, I think teams. Uh, improved the most the first three games. Everybody says the first one and probably, yeah, the most that single game. But 
the first three games. I mean, after three games, uh, you know, and not even winning all three of them, but the teams that are improving all three of them, those are the guys that are going to be pretty good in the end. And uh, uh, because everybody's got a lot of work to do, and you don't always know how it's – it's going to spill out, but uh, in our case, this was one of the better first games that we've had, and I get that by I felt like we played well. I felt like we were on the same page. There was a hollow spot the second half where we took our foot off the gas, um, but then we did finish well, and uh was and you know, but in particular, playing together and we're relatively consistent for a first outing, but still plenty of work because that's what you first game identify all kinds of things you got to fix, and we certainly did. But uh, I thought a good start. I mean, the important thing is to fix and don't panic if uh, <clears throat> if it went bad. And uh, if it went good, do not hesitate to hammer on them next week in practice. Because <laughs> that's just the future where you got something all figured out. And football under the best of circumstances is played in adversity and pain. And so it's always, you know, tempting to relax and, you know, that type of thing. And we don't have time for any of that. The Pac-12 in its last nine against the SEC is in opening weeks is one and eight. Uh, Florida took care of Utah in a tough one. Oregon got boat raced. Uh, I was in Atlanta. It was interesting just to see the physicality of Georgia, a good SEC team. You're, you're around that now, and you know the Pac-12. What, what is that gap like? in your mind when you see, you know, the physicality that you see at week to week at the SEC? Um, I don't think there's much with the skill guys. There may not be any. Um, with the defense line in particular, especially the D line, it's significant. I think that, um, and I've thought this for a long time, The SEC, what they do better than any other conference is, you know, everybody wants to say the skilled guys. Well, I mean, there's been skilled guy after skilled guy after skilled guy that's torn up the SEC that's from California or Texas, you know. Um, No, it's defensive linemen. The defensive linemen in the SEC region, there's a lot of them. They're really good. Statistically, they put more in the NFL um, than any other comp. Uh, by them, he the quarterback straight into the backfield. Um, it uh, speeds up the plays a little bit and makes it feel faster. Um, I always felt like uh, most teams 
um, in the in most conferences. I would include, with rare exception, uh, uh, the Big Twelve too. Um, you'd have like one or two flat-out bonafide defensive linemen, you know, real deal defensive linemen. Now you'd be lining other people up there, certainly, but um, some of those guys are kind of uh, the meaner, quicker guard type of guy because you need somebody there, or you know, the bigger linebacker type of guy. Um, a lot of teams in the SEC can line up with four to six just bonafide D line, and I think uh, that's where the biggest difference is. You guys will go to Arizona this week. It's uh, you know this Arizona team is uh, really different. I mean, fifty new players this year. He's got fifty new guys. What, you know, when you look at you know your turnover year to year. Have you had years where you had 50 new players? Yeah, every time I took a new job. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Uh, I don't know. Our first couple of years here, um, you know, one thing I never really heard mentioned much, it was kind of an interesting dynamic that people didn't really think of. Um, during the COVID madness, uh, you know, they gave everybody an extra year. And so if you had a lot of seniors, some people, people had as many as 98 guys on scholarship. The total, you know, is typically 85, but all grandfathered in with the extra year because of COVID. So as many as 98, we had 78. We just didn't have many seniors. And uh, so I think that in some cases, you know, there were a few kind of aberrations perhaps just because of how stuff stacked up in sequence. This year will be uh, interesting because everybody's back to 85, you know? Yeah. The Jaden Delora, you get, you know, you recruited that kid uh, at Washington State. You'll see him on the other side at Arizona. Is uh, that happen a lot? Like when you, I, I guess it does because it's guys that maybe you get, guys that get in the portal, guys that go other places. But you must have saw saw something you liked in him as a high school kid. Obviously, oh, I really liked him. <clears throat> I really liked, uh, you know, I mean, I, I recruited him to. Washington State, and then, you know, I took the job at Mississippi State. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of one of my reservations in doing that was not having the chance to coach Jaden Delora, uh, Delora, you know. Yeah. And I think he's a good player. I think he's a tough kid. Uh, obviously, I've liked him since high school. Thought he looked pretty good the first game. Yeah, they. You know, when you look at film of them, and I know you you guys do your game planning on Monday nights. Um, you know, you put together a game plan. How much of it of your game plan is based on what they're doing versus maybe what you're doing well? You always hear coaches say, 
hey, we don't want to change what we do, but you they obviously do when an opponent comes in. So how does that amalgam come together when you're game planning? Well, you try to match it up. I mean, if you have a good package, if you have a good offensive package, and what I think a good package is, is uh, one that you have the ability to first attack the whole field. And by the whole field, I mean sideline to sideline to about 30 or 35 yards downfield. Because um, I'm going up a hill. Uh, your pass protection is going to break down somewhere around three to three and a half seconds if you have a blocker for everybody and you do a pretty good job, which, you know, I don't have anybody that uh, can, uh, everybody says, can you throw it 60 yards? Well, I mean, can you pass protect that long? <laughs> I mean, do you have somebody on your team that can run 60 yards in three and a half seconds consistently? Because, you know, after that, it's a broken play. And, you know, different stuff can happen on broken plays, but, you know, maybe a rollout. You have to hold it. They go clear downfield, but you know you can't constantly be trying to manufacture that. I mean, because you just can't mass produce it. So uh, you want to attack the whole field. You want to get it in everybody's hands, uh, and it has to be simple enough that. Uh, you can consistently execute it. So then within that, you know, the other team's going to have, you know, a defensive scheme. Usually they have a package, not always. Sometimes you find somebody that's just calling defense, you know, there's rolling stuff out there that doesn't necessarily complement uh, what they're trying to do. And you see guys on offense do that too sometimes. But, uh, and so then you try to find your stuff that matches up, whether it's mismatches or space with what they're trying to do. And in many cases, you want to have a lot of options, not just, okay, we're going to call this because the third read might be open. You know, it needs to be something like, okay, uh, you know, they're going to cover somebody, but we have a good shot of any of these three routes being open. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's numbers or leverage. Numbers means <clears throat> I have more numbers than you. I mean, we have three receivers right there. You have two defenders. Uh, leverage means... Okay, they're inside shade, so I want to go outside. They're outside shade, so I want to go inside. They're playing off, so I want to go underneath. 
they're playing tight, so I want to go behind. Um, and you, you're trying to pick out and practice what you think is uh, best going to attack that and give you a variety of options. Now, if you see something that you don't expect, which you certainly could, because, you know, it seems to me in a lot of cases, not all, um, sometimes they'll just run whatever they feel is their best defense. Sometimes they'll go into it and they're going to say, all right, we're going to pressure these guys. Okay, now if you respond pretty good to the pressure, <clears throat> then a lot of times they'll go the opposite. Okay, now we're going to drop everybody. Well, if you respond well to that, then a lot of times you get them kind of just dialing up both of it to try to keep you off balance. Now, if you don't respond to it, they're going to just keep running it and pound on you. And um, so you're trying to um, – so if they do something you don't expect, you know, and the game will say you thought they were going to drop another blitzing, well, your package should have some blitz beaters, you know, depending on how they do it, where they come from, how they set up their defense. and. So you got to be flexible enough to start attacking with that. I was uh, in a restaurant the other day, and we uh, were waiting for a table. And you know, they said, "Hey, you know, we're short-staffed." And I was thinking about this. My wife and I were debating why the workforce has uh, has a has a hole in it. Like literally, there is. You know, businesses are saying we we can't find employees. Everybody's hiring. Uh, wh- what happened to the workforce? Because I told my wife, I said, you know who's going to know? Mike Leach is going to know because I know well, you've, you've I thought about it. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I think um, – I don't know exactly. In some cases, somebody did an article and added it up that through, you know, everything from – welfare grants, various federal aids. You know, you can generate eighty to 90000 a year, which is higher than the average American income. So, you know, a bunch of those guys below that are just getting paid better the way we've structured our federal welfare system. Uh, I also think... There's a little bit of a hangover from uh, COVID. I mean, COVID made people bitter. It locked them up. Uh, Couldn't wait to have their freedom and get out. But I think there's a little bit, and I would feel it occasionally myself, where there's kind of a little bit of a, relief to some irresponsibility if you want to stay home that day or finish the series of something or other on Netflix. And I think some of it's just uh, getting people in stride in the routine of going to work, enjoying it, and finding it fulfilling. Uh, The other thing in some cases, employers have... uh, Kind of the reverse, it's uh, stay home. 
we don't want you here. We don't want to pay this, this, and this. Uh, you send us your reports or be on the phone calls type of thing with Zoom. So I think it's just kind of, in a lot of cases, getting the momentum going again. And uh, so, you know, I mean, if you get paid more to be unemployed, a lot of people will be, you know. We're talking to Mike Leach, Mississippi State football coach. All right, before I cut you loose, uh, you know, Arizona, as you look at them on film, what do you see? Uh, I think, well, first of all, they had a really good first game. I thought they played hard. Uh, you know, I think they've gotten definitely a year better. Uh, they've got some speed at key uh, skill positions. And then the other thing, you know, it's funny. You, know, you wonder, but uh, some of the guys, their sizes that they have listed are pretty darn big. We'll see if they're actually that big, and maybe they are. Maybe they're <laughs> even bigger. Well, like Nebraska it, used to yeah. list, list their guys as this big. They'd list some guy uh, 6'2", 285. Like hell, the guy was 6'2", 280. That guy'd be 6'6", 320 pounds, you know. <laughs> and then you'd have other schools, kind of more grandstanders, and you'd shave off a couple inches and, you know, 25 pounds, and that's what they were, you know. What's the worst case you ever saw where where a guy was not as advertised? Uh, I don't know. There's definitely been some. I mean, there's so many that it's hard to pinpoint one. <laughs> you know, we're we're not very good here. I mean, I'd love love to tell you the size. You know, we we don't typically exaggerate. Um, you know, they, you know, they're doing the roster. How big's this guy? Well, sometimes the SID and the assistant strength coach are kind of eyeballing it. Well, I think he's about this or that. And occasionally we exaggerate. Usually it's understated. And then the other thing that'll happen is sometimes from their sophomore or their freshman year to their senior year, it never gets changed. So hmm. the guy early stayed the exact same size, you know. Um, it just depends how much you focus on it. You miss- some coaches are obsessed with it, want it to dead on perfect, and their weights will fight no matter what. Uh, others want to make them bigger, thinking it'll scare the other guy. Uh, especially teams that are highly touted and highly billed. Um, you know, they want to psych you out with, you know, the guy's only this big and he comes out and he's a monster, you know. Before I let you go, the playoff expansion, the realignment, couple Pac-12 schools in the Big Ten. I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like the uh, geography not being lined up with conferences, but I get why the Pac-12 ended up there. Um, it's out of your control. It's a lot out of every coach's control, but what do you make of what's happening in college football right now? Oh, I'm care. First of all, I don't think they're done because a lot of this is uh, impetuous decisions based on keeping up with the Joneses. And as soon as you attach the name university to something, everybody acts like it's brilliantly well thought out and some aren't, <laughs> some aren't. But Hey, I remember distinctly when, um, you know, in the Big East. And, I mean, there wasn't this they talked about it. No, no, TCU joined the Big East. Boise State joined the Big East. And I think San Diego State joined the Big East. <laughs> and they're, in, they're about eight months, and then they came to their senses and they left. 
But um, I don't know. I'm just thinking that, you know, I've, I think uh, under even circumstances, uh, UCLA, USC certainly capable of competing with the Big Ten. But I'd consider this. Uh, those guys have to take five trips over two to three time zones uh, a year. And uh, their opponents, their opponents only have to take uh, less than one every other year. So, you know, that fifth trip flying back, trying to figure out, you know, I mean, it's a pretty taxing deal. Mike Leach, you're the best. I appreciate you coming on with us. We'll get you later in the season. Miss talking to you, and I know people in the Pacific Northwest uh, especially miss hearing from you on the show. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, call any time. I probably won't have a cough next time. <laughs> I might, but I probably won't. Mike Leach walking his dog. That's why you come to the BFT. I want you to leave it right here. You got the bald face truth statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. Well, there was Mike Leach in all his glory, 12.30 in the morning, taking his dog for a walk. He sent me a picture of the dog today. <laughs> Should I tweet out the picture of the dog? Does anybody want to see it? I always want to see a photo of a dog. Just looks like a you know lab to me, black lab to me. But, you probably uh, get some great numbers. People do love dogs. I, all right, I'll tweet it out here. If you ever wondered what Mike Leach's dog looked like, or what's the right language with the tweet? Anna's popped into the studio as well. I want everybody's suggestion on what I should tweet. Let's collectively come up with what would really work when it comes to Mike Leach's dog. Have you ever uh, wondered what a pirate's dog looks like? Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think long and hard on this one. Uh, I think the copy would be, here's Mike Leach's dog. Because Mississippi State is the Bulldogs, so I wonder if you can you know, mm. do something with that. You know, How many Bulldogs are there? I mean, I feel like the bulldog Samford. in general. Samford. It's going to be bulldog Gonzaga. on bulldog crime coming up yeah, I, this like, weekend. How many schools have bulldogs as their mascot? I, I like, feel like there's more wildcats and cougars than bulldog mascots, don't you for think? For sure. Tigers. Yeah, tigers. Some variation of the tiger. But uh, bulldog is very popular. Should there only be each, like, only one? For, like, you know, each animal can only be represented by one major college program. I don't know if we need to have some hard and fast rules. I just, I feel like we're talking a lot about bulldogs. It, it caused a big problem last year. How when so? Georgia won the national championship, yeah. Twitter does a weird thing. When you win a national title, they give you the hashtag. Mm -hmm. So the hashtag, go dogs, D-A-W-G-S, when you use that hashtag on Twitter, yeah. the Georgia emblem pops up with it. The trouble is University of Washington... Also Husties. uses Go Dogs. Right. So they were upset that yeah. Georgia got it, but Twitter explained when you win a national championship, you can have it back. Right. So that, or Huskies. Go figure out one that's more specific to the Huskies. Go Husky. What like. was really weird was when LSU and Clemson, both Tigers, played each other in the uh, the 2019 championship. <laughs> Should have been in the Frosted Flakes Bowl. So I have, I have the official list of the most common uh, mascot names for four-year colleges. 
Look at you, Ooh. researcher. Yeah. That's what I Fast get finger Steven, we're going to call you. Steven, <laughs> Steven f- finally found something he's really into. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I got this. Let me get on that. <laughs> I, I get motivated by the weirdest things. Stronger for sure. work ethic than me. Yeah. Don't we all, Steven? I'm a great Don't Googler, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, number one is the Eagles. Resume. Eagles number one, Hawks two, Eagles. Tigers three, Lions four, Bulldogs five. Five. Samford is playing Georgia this weekend. They're both the Bulldogs. Yeah. Samford. Who's got you got Samford in fifty two, Steven? Let look at good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no one else is gonna take them in the world. Why would anybody take Samford? So yeah, I'll be on Samford's side. It doesn't feel like it's enough points. I don't know why. Maybe because I was there and I saw Oregon get boat raced. And there's no amount of points that would make me feel safe uh in a game against Georgia. I need you to ask Kirby Smart how long he's gonna play the starters for for me. Thank Ooh. you. At, at would... what point did you know, John? That what was happening on Saturday for me it was the uh, the hur- the hurdle by their big tight end or mm. the pick that that first pick by Malachi f- Starks to me the first pick was okay that first pick and I don't know if they showed play. this on television but it was a bad route by Seven McGee it was a sloppy route first of all and then it was Bo Nix he threw the ball he should have thrown the ball to the sideline it doesn't get intercepted the guy made a fantastic play. But to me, the, the, the backbreaker was the second pick. It was, Oregon was driving. I think if they could have got some points there, they would have felt better about themselves going into halftime that they could have got seven maybe. And he just threw the ball right to the Georgia defender, and it went the other way. The game was over at that point. Anna, what was it like for you to be in the stadium? Because I, for me, I've been there for blowouts. Yeah. You felt all the hype and the anticipation, and then let down i know and for me the harbinger was at the end of the first quarter when somebody in the press box said game's still not over but kind of in that tone that implied it kind of might be over it was over (laughs) oh man and you know i was with everybody else i was really rooting for oregon i i was i know you're not supposed to like do that in the press they they announced that in fact in the press box every quarter there's Some no voice of rooting. God comes on and, and, like, really tells you, like, this is a working press box. No one's to be Damn cheering it. or applauding the, the action on the field. And um, So, I, I mean, I, I, I was like a lot of people thinking that Oregon would at least be competitive and that it would be a good game. And I was, you know, hoping really for the whole Pac-12 that there would be a good showing and I, uh, I wouldn't say that I was as crushed as everybody else. Like, I, I won't say that I was as crushed as some of my Oregon Duck fan friends. But I was disappointed, not just for Oregon, but, yeah, for the, for the whole conference because it is such an important time. Do you have a lot of Duck fan friends, Anna? I, I do. All right. I so but you also have Beaver fan friends. And I noticed we had a call earlier in the show from a Beaver fan who said, now the Duck fans know what we feel like. I thought that was a really interesting take by the Beaver fan. Um, I don't. I think it was worse than than most things that I've seen happen to Oregon State because of the anticipation and the hope. Yeah, it, the higher the hope, the greater the fall, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but bad. I think Beavers fans look over at Ducks fans and are like, "Well, come on, now, now you know what it's. We know how to take a loss. Can you take a loss? Yeah. Can you take a bad loss? That's what the Beaver fans yeah. say. Never say it's easy to be a Duck fan because it's, you know, if it's not the blowout losses that they've been experiencing recently, you know, four out of the last five have been blowout losses for Oregon. 
you know, in a season where they do have expectations and, you know, could potentially make the playoff, they always get that one heartbreaking loss to, you know, Arizona or Washington State or Stanford, yeah. a team like that. So it's, uh, I don't want to hear that it's easy being a Duck fan. Not that you guys are saying it, but I, I have heard that narrative before. I, I, I guys, I got to tell you something else, too, because this stadium that the Atlanta Falcons play in, Mercedes Benz Stadium, is fantastic. It is beautiful. It is a gorgeous stadium. I think. The Raiders stadium and this stadium, neck and neck, as far as the two NFL stadiums that I've seen lately, that just blow you away. It was gorgeous inside the stadium. The press box was gorgeous. I, I felt bad because I tell Anna when I travel, I'm like, you know, I'm here in this press box. We're slaving away. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm walking over the gate. But we go into this press box, guys. They are serving like a five-star meal. <laughs> it was the Chick-fil-A bowl, so they had Chick-fil-A sandwiches, all you could eat. And then they had a lady who was in charge of like a soft serve frozen yogurt machine. And she was there to put toppings on and give you a fro-yo and whatnot. Now, I didn't get one, but I kept saying to Anna, you know, you're going to get a fro-yo? Like every time Georgia would score, you, you up for a little uh, Sunday or whatnot. And I, it isn't going to help me when I'm on the road later in the season and she's home with the kids and I go, oh, it was such a hard day at work. She'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How was that Sunday? <laughs> yeah. Poor you. <laughs> Getting started. And it was really funny, like, watching, you know, all the press guys. They're very focused on the food. It's like there's a buzz that goes around when the nachos come around in the third quarter. Hey, there's nachos. Everybody gets really excited. But you know how it is when you're traveling and you're adding work onto that, you kind yeah. of, you indulge in the simple pleasures like food. Right? I Hey, look, let's let's talk about both things here, Oregon and Oregon State. Yeah. It was the day belonged to the discussion about Oregon and the disappointment, but the night belonged to Oregon State. They punched Boise State right in the nose, and to their credit, they finished the game. 34-17 was the final. This may not be Chris Peterson's Boise State, but this was exactly the kind of game the Pac-12 lost a year ago. I was a little surprised that Oregon State didn't pop up, you know, 24th or 25th in the AP poll today. They got a couple of votes here or there. Uh, Pete Martini of the uh, Salem paper gave them a vote, but not many others. Um, should Oregon State have been in the top 25, guys? Uh, I'm going to go with no on this one. Not quite yet. I think if they beat Fresno, then it's a yes. But, uh, I mean, it, again, I try not to overreact too much after week one. So I don't want to overreact and put Oregon State in the top 25 after they got no votes uh, preseason. So I think they got to beat Fresno State. If they do that, then, yeah, for sure they do belong. Yeah, I agree with Steven. I think it's a no for now because of the way their season ended last year. You know, last year was a good season for them, but at the end of the day, you have to remember that they lost to Utah State in that final game, and before that, they lost to Oregon. So, um, you know, I think you know, it's kind of a combination of this season and, you know, expectations for this year and also what you've been as a program the last couple of years, and recency bias doesn't really favor Oregon State because they had a rough end of last season. But we're not supposed to do that, right? We're not supposed to judge the teams. I know we do, but we're not supposed to judge them on last season. But every year the preseason poll does exactly that, and it taints the beginning of the season because, you know, last year's rankings, last year's record is not supposed to count. But it does, guys, and it shapes the perception, the matchups, where game day goes, uh, you know, the betting lines. You know, should college football be – you know, I'm going to throw this out there. Week one, we saw some teams lay some eggs and make some mistakes and play sloppy, weird games. And I think that it got me thinking about the NFL. You know, they do play, I think, a preseason that's too long. 
Should the college game have one week where it's kind of a mulligan week where they get to scrimmage and play another team, but it doesn't count, or am I going too far? I think you're going too far. I, I think that's what the beauty of college football is, is that Utah, they go on the road to Florida. If that's a mulligan game, you know, what was the point of doing it, right? Like, it was such an important game, and you could tell just how you know crazy the fans were at that stadium. I just think that's what the beauty of college football is. So for me, no, like, I want every game to matter. Yeah, no, I I agree with Steven. And there was a caller earlier that gave me his take, and he never ended up getting on the air, but I thought he made a really good point where it's like, okay, Utah and Oregon are going to SEC country, and they're playing in really tough environments. I mean, Oregon obviously played in a, a really hard environment. So did Utah, you know, especially with that weather. When do you ever see Alabama going to the West Coast or going to... Well, they don't have to, yeah. Right, like they never leave the South, even for their big games. Like they'll go to like Texas to play their big games. I think it was an interesting point the caller made where it's like, you know, teams like Georgia, Alabama, they never really seem to leave the South. And I think, you know, that's why the Pac-12, obviously the Pac-12 has its issues, but I also think, you know, it's it's kind of, it's not doing themselves any favors by scheduling these games. Oregon took four and a half million dollar check to go there. I think Oregon, you know, probably got something out of it. But Anna, what's up? That's not a bad payday. I mean, I just think it's critically important on both sides for Oregon and Oregon State, for all of us that are observing, not to overreact to game one. Like, you know, we had talked about over the weekend how one game does not make a season. And it's how you win and it's how you lose that is important and worth noting. So it was like, you know, the way Oregon lost, right, was concerning because it was like man they only got three points on the board like that's hard and and it was sort of the way that Oregon State won that was of note yeah. but we can't like I just think it's interesting how many Oregon fans after this game one are saying change everything change the coach change the quarterback change the offensive line change the defensive line it's like is is like special teams the only thing that you want to leave untouched yeah you that, know? that uh kickoff return team looked really good yeah. you know they had a lot, they got a lot of work <laughs> yeah out there seven so, or eight kickoff returns like i'm sure there are positives like that we can draw for, are there positives john that you can draw from the oregon game guys i like, i had a hard time with that because normally i can leave a loss and go look if they had only done this or this, they, it would have been a different game. But I, I think they play that game 100 times, they lose it 100 times. I, I just don't think there's any way. And I'm kicking myself because I felt like week one for Georgia might br bring some wrinkles. They're coming off a championship. They raise the banner. Like, the fans are all riding high. Maybe the team in the offseason, you know, felt like it was, you know, feel, feeling good about itself. But, man, they looked really good. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.